Good Monday morning and welcome to another episode of the podcast, Insanity, A Peace of Mind. I am your host, Stephanie. This is episode 144 and I'm going to take a break from the good and bad and right and wrong topic. And I never leave any topic entirely. So if you have more questions or more comments on anything I have ever talked about on the podcast, please feel free to reach out and ask me questions or let me know directions you would like to see me go with those because nothing is ever over. The information involved in all of these topics could keep me busy for years and years. It's just that I get a little bit tired and want to move on to something different. So this podcast, I am going to talk about the nervous system. And this will not be a fulsome explanation of the nervous system. That's what I love about doing a podcast. I can just end where I want to end and pick up the next week. So I am going to introduce you to some ideas about the brain, the triune brain theory, which is the three part model of the brain. I might talk a little bit about brain and trauma and the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn reactions. We'll talk a little bit about the nervous system and how that is an important part of understanding your emotional responses, your ability to regulate yourself and regulate with others. And I'm just going to go as far as I want. And then I will have more to discuss another time. Before I get into that, I want to take a minute to discuss how I choose topics, which sometimes doesn't happen until the day that I'm actually doing the podcast. And I always choose them with incredible intentionality and thought. The title of this podcast will probably be something like understanding your brain and nervous system. And those of you who have multiple podcasts that you listen to each week and millions of things that you need to get done may or may not choose to listen to that one based on its title. I totally understand that. And I think the most important thing I want to say is that everything I choose to talk about has the potential of making your life better if there is a willingness to invest in increased understanding, increased knowledge, and putting into practice the things that you learn in the ways that make sense to you. When I went back to school, oh, I don't know how long ago now, and started reading textbooks, what I found in those textbooks was divine, for lack of a better word. 
and very much related to my understanding of God and a higher power and the idea that there is something bigger than us in the world. I am, I believe in God. That is my premise. And so specifically, I found godly principles being taught to me through this lens of mental health and this awareness of all of these different theories and approaches and the science and the neuro the neuroscience and the biology and the physiology and i believe to my core that these principles including understanding the brain and understanding the nervous system and mindfulness and attachment and internal family systems and you know psychedelic healing are all part of a journey that brings us closer to the divine in my case that is god and for others it might just be looking for something bigger than themselves and so when i do a podcast on the brain and the nervous system i do it because i know these concepts if understood and learned about and internalized these concepts can help improve your life in a way that your relationships are better, your marriages are better, your partnerships are better, your parenting is better, your employment is better, your sense of self and self-worth and self-compassion improves. And to me, these are all godly, aspirational ways to be in the world. So don't dismiss this podcast because it talks about the nervous system because it is built in foundational principles of our human body that to a believer in God was created by a God who created you in his and her image. It behooves us to understand these things. That's how I choose podcast topics. The triune theory of the brain, the three-part model, is based in an evolutionary concept that emphasizes three key brain regions. These are the brain stem, the limbic system, and the cortex. And these all function relatively independently when we are coping with stress, meaning fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, or emotional regulation or dysregulation, and cognition, respectively. So the brainstem, limbic system, and the cortex. Stress, emotion, cognition. So this evolutionary perspective uh, about how the brain has developed under different environmental pressures and how those different pressures impact us now include the primate or human brain which is the cortex the mammalian brain which is the limbic system 
and the reptile brain, which is the brain stem and the cerebellum. And I will link to a short video by Dan Siegel, where he goes through this using his hand to show how you can view this representation by using your hand. It's a great way to teach kids. And it's just a great way to see how this triune brain is represented just by using your thumb, fingers, hand. So I will link that in the show notes. So let's talk about the primate human brain, which is the cortex. This is the front part of your brain. And this is where we connect to others. This is where we feel our joys and our sorrows, our love and connection. This is where heartache comes in. All of those emotions are felt and occupy the space of the cortex. This is where our attention, feelings, and desire are regulated. And this is where abstract thoughts and imagination take place. This is also where we find empathy. So the cortex is the front part of the brain. The middle part of the brain, the one right below or behind the cortex and right above the brainstem is the mammalian brain, also called the limbic system. And our limbic system is where our memory, emotion, pleasure, and all of our hormone production take place. This is also where we have decision-making and language. So that is your limbic system. The last part, not the least important, is the reptile brain or our brain stem and cerebellum. And this is the most ancient part of our brain. This is our survival brain. This is where we seek safety and we have a sincere desire to avoid harm. This is where all of our automatic or autonomic systems are regulated. So our heartbeat, breath, all of our vital organs are operated from this place. We pay no attention to those operations because they take place in the background through the limb, through the brainstem and cerebellum. This is also where we tend to feel the opposite feelings of safety or danger or peace or fear. So that is the three-part model of the brain. And that is the description of what happens in each of those different parts. Briefly, I will go over a few more specifics that happen in each of these different areas of the brain, starting with the reptilian brain. In the reptilian brain, the brainstem and the cerebellum, the brainstem regulates breathing, digestion, all of our reflex responses, our bowel and bladder control, our, bl our blood pressure, all those things that happen without us attending to them at all. 
The cerebellum is where our balance is coordinated. This is where our voluntary movements take place. And this is how we stay upright. This is our posture. Also in the reptile brain is the basal ganglia. This is the area of the brain that helps code procedural memory. Procedural memory is the routine stuff that we do, the stuff that we often call muscle memory. That would be basically most of what we do in a day. We get up, we brush our teeth, we wash our face, we get dressed, we drive. So many things that are just coded as routine behaviors. The basal ganglia also houses the reward center, and this encourages the encoding of those habitual behaviors because we learn from conditioning. So we are rewarded in this area of our brain in ways that are unconscious to us for our routine behaviors. This includes positive and negative reinforcers. Both of them exist. Okay, the mammalian brain or the limbic system, this is the part of the brain that regulates human emotional responses. And this is where our understanding of attachment is in our limbic system. This is the way we see ourselves in the world as it relates to those who were our primary caregivers. Remember, we have anxious, secure, anxious, avoidant, this is where our attachment understanding lies. The thalamus is part of the limbic system. It is linked with the brainstem and receives all of the sensory input from the external world. So this part of the brain is unique because it needs to involve all levels of the brain, the brainstem, the limbic system, and the prefrontal cortex in order to do its job. The hypothalamus regulates all of our autonomic nervous system responses. This includes sympathetic activation when our heart increases and our parasympathetic activation when our heart rate decreases. And this also is where our body temperature is controlled. The amygdala is part of the limbic system and it is our fear center. This is where we detect danger. It is directly related to the thalamus because we get sensory input from the external world and the thalamus sends the amygdala this information to determine whether we are safe or unsafe. And depending on how your amygdala reacts to this information, it then sends signals to the hypothalamus to release specific hormones. So if your thalamus receives external stimuli that it sees as safe or pleasurable, then the amygdala releases the amygdala assesses this information and sends the signal to the hypothalamus to release dopamine, which is a reward neurotransmitter.
So if we have a loving caregiver around, or if we are involved in a social co-regulation experience, we may also receive the neurotransmitter oxytocin, which is about bonding and attachment. On the other hand, if you are assessing this, if your amygdala assesses this as dangerous or unsafe, then the signal it sends to the hypothalamus is to release stress hormones, cortisol or adrenaline. These are the hormones that activate our fight, flight, freeze, and fawn responses. The last one in the mammalian brain, the limbic system, is the hippocampus which sits directly on top of the amygdala and this is where it this is where the brain the the hippocampus helps the brain organize emotional experiences into time and context and it sends the information to the prefrontal cortex shifting implicit responses to explicit memory so this is where explicit memory is created the third part of the brain, so this is these are in order of this evolutionary development, the reptile brain, the mammalian brain. Now we have the human brain, which is the thinking brain or the cerebral cortex. This refers to the frontal lobes or the outside layer of the brain. And this is what separates humans from other mammals because we have higher thinking, language, and emotion regulation in this part of our brain. The thinking brain, cerebral cortex, has a right hemisphere and a left hemisphere. The right hemisphere is more directly linked to the emotional brain and spatial reasoning. This is where we understand metaphor, nonverbal communication, and this is where our processing of negative emotions take place. Then we have the left hemisphere, which has more connections to the prefrontal cortex. This is where logic gets analyzed. This is our verbal communication. We integrate our positive emotions and we do organizing this in this area of the brain of our life experiences into a story. I have a side note here because I began listening to a book which I cannot remember the name of, by the way. So this is probably just a stupid tangent, but I'm going to address it because the book that I was listening to talks very much about how much more integrated our hemispheres are than science uh, articulates in its written literature. And it's a fascinating book. And before the end of, before I'm done posting the podcast, I will find what it is and link to it because it has a lot of really interesting information about how much more integrated the um, hemispheres actually are. That is a tangent. Now I'm going to go back to describing what goes on in this part of the brain. So then we have the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is involved in working memory, decision-making, planning, insight, awareness, and our relationship to external surroundings. Medial prefrontal cortex, 
is emotional regulation and impulse control. We receive input from our limbic system, specifically the amygdala and the hippocampus, where we form explicit memories and house conclusions or decisions based on our past experiences. If our emotional brain is highly active, active or activated, the medial prefrontal cortex does not access executive functioning. So Dr. Siegel's hand model of the brain discusses this phrase, flipping your lid, as he talks about the hand model of the brain, because you can open your hand and that is the representation of flipping your lid. If we are dysregulated in this part of our brain, our emotional brain is taking over responses and hindering the prefrontal cortex with assisting in regulation. So watch the Siegel video that I will post so that you can see it. But just as a side note, he talks about what happens using this model when we're angry or upset about something because we tend to lose control of ourselves and we don't think from our prefrontal cortex. When these parts of our brain all work together, we can remain calm, generally connected, even when we are in a state of heightened emotional dysregulation. However, when the lower parts of the brain feel overwhelmed, which can be for a lot of reasons, you can be hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, which we talked about a few weeks ago, you cannot be getting enough sleep, you can have your, uh, you know, you could be overly stressed because you've had a bad day, it doesn't matter why it happens. But when our the lower parts of our brain are overwhelmed, the thinking part of our brain disconnects and we tend to be irrational and we overreact. So picture a toddler who just doesn't get to finish the last bite of their peanut butter and jelly sandwich because you've told them 16 times. The reaction to that is extreme and ridiculous. Under no circumstances is it wise to try and explain further to that child why he or she has lost the opportunity to finish the last bit of the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. At that moment, you connect in a way that recognizes what they're feeling, empathize with them, validate that they're okay to feel that way, and watch them settle down. This goes for adults too, but it's a lot more embarrassing for me, I guess, because I would have to use me or people I know. It's a lot more embarrassing to use adults in these examples because adults really should be better at regulating their nervous system and utilizing different parts of their brain more cohesively. And yet we're not in many instances. So take a moment and think of the last time you were in you had an experience with an adult who, to quote Dan Siegel, flipped their lid and behaved horrendously. It wasn't because they're bad. It wasn't because they're terrible or mean or nasty or immature or any other thing that you may or may not have thought about them at the time. It is because they are getting 
overwhelmed in their lower parts of their brain and their prefrontal cortex is disconnected and not accessible. The nature of emotional regulation is very different for everybody. And so it takes becoming attuned to the people you live with and the people that you know and understand and and have access to, right? Your family or close friends to kind of understand how they emotionally regulate. You may be in contact or you may have an experience with someone you don't know very well and you don't know what their emotional regulation process is, but it's very different from person to person. And so it's probably wise to be careful how you engage with people who are overwhelmed in their lower brain systems and maybe try and wait out the regulation period so that things don't escalate or get worse. It's easy to see that when we're close to someone. And I can tell you that, you know, six times out of 10, I don't emotionally regulate very well and I allow it to get worse before I allow it to get better. So recognize that we're all individual. We all don't have the same skills or experiences and it will take us different lengths of time to emotionally regulate. If the potential for making it worse exists, if you stay in this fight, so to speak, I recommend you back out. It's never better to let things get worse before we are able to get control of ourselves. There are regulation skills that can help this process. I've talked about them a hundred times because they're mostly related to mindfulness activities. Deep breathing sends the signal to your body that you are safe. If you are fighting or fleeing, you are not safe and your breathing is regulated in a part of your brain that is telling you that you are in danger. When you consciously take deep breaths, the signal is sent to your autonomic nervous system that you are not needing to run or fight. So deep breathing actually works. And then you can go from there with a multitude of different types of mindfulness practices. Remember, if you're not practicing mindfulness when you don't need it, you will not have access to it when you do need it. So plug for mindfulness. I'm going to end this one by talking about how trauma affects these three different parts of the brain. And let's start with the identification of trauma, capital T trauma, and then little t trauma, capital T trauma, abuse, physical, sexual, car accidents, gun violence, post-traumatic stress. So veterans, war, natural disasters, those types of things are generally seen as capital T trauma, meaning most Anybody who experiences anything 
in those categories will have categorically trauma in their life. The little t traumas are more representative of how someone experiences smaller things. Cap lowercase trauma or little t trauma can be attachment wounds. It can be breakups or bullying. It can be a COVID is probably both capital T and little t trauma, depending on how you experience it. There is no clear cut definition because what is trauma for one person may not be trauma for another person just because of the way they process it or their experience with it or the way they view what has happened to them. So briefly, the definition or the descriptions between capital T and lower T traumas. However, all trauma has the potential to alter the structure and function of the brain, specifically the amygdala, the hippocampus, and the prefrontal cortex, because these areas are the areas involved in some way in emotional regulation, memory, and decision-making. So the changes that happen in the brain from trauma can lead to symptoms like flashbacks, which are very current. Uh, very common in post-traumatic stress, avoidance behaviors, which can be almost anything, and then difficulty with emotional regulation. The brain and the nervous system work together constantly to protect us from danger by moving us into our fight or flight responses when we perceive an emergency situation or threat of harm. Notice I said perceive, because people are going to see things differently. Perception is really important when it comes to the way our nervous system and our brain helps protect us. The response that happens allows us to react quickly when we are faced with something that is dangerous to us. It also means that the body does not have time for rational, slow, intentional thought processes if it perceives immediate danger. So your body may not always respond in ways that you think are helpful because fleeing is an avoiding behavior. So you may not actually be running away from danger, but you may be avoiding something that creates discomfort for you. So that's kind of how the brain processes trauma and how you might be experiencing it in your life. So briefly, the prefrontal cortex, as it relates to trauma in the brain, helps you learn that previously threatening things, people or places are now safe. For example, a car accident victim may not be able to drive through a certain intersection or drive a certain type of car or drive with certain people because of the threat response that is processed through the amygdala this person would experience the same effects, racing heart rate, sweating, 
all of the physiological things that they experienced during the car wreck itself may be re-experienced when they're in the same car or driving with the same people or driving through the intersection. And the prefrontal cortex helps encourage the learning that the car that is the same car that you were in the accident in is not the accident. The people who were in the car with you are not the accident. The intersection is not the accident. And so the prefrontal cortex helps you see that there is current safety where it didn't exist during the actual event. The prefrontal cortex also regulates emotions such as the fear response. And the prefrontal cortex allows rational thinking, which is how you can disengage the current set of circumstances, not accident, with the actual circumstances accident. In trauma, the hippocampus has difficulty storing and recalling information. It is also difficult to recall certain parts of the traumatic event. And they, the hippocampus also increases the difficulty in overcoming the fear responses to thoughts, memories, and situations. So if you use the example of the car accident, you can see how you may miss parts of what happened as you try and recall, because the hippocampus is keeping some of those out of your awareness. And then last but not least, the amygdala during a traumatic event or in our trauma responses, because there is a difference between the traumatic event itself and then the responses we continue to have and perpetuate after the experience is long over. So in the trauma itself or in our trauma responses, the amygdala part of the brain releases cortisol and adrenaline. These are the hormones that when we are actually in danger are incredibly useful. But when we are not in danger, they just dump stress into our bodies. The amygdala also stores the visual images of our trauma as sensory fragments. Sensory meaning taste, smell, touch, sight, sound. So you may have trauma reactions or responses to certain smells or to a certain sensory feeling on your skin because the amygdala stores these visual images as sensory fragments. The amygdala is also where we are wired for survival. Everything that takes place in the amygdala serves our interest for surviving. That's an important thing to remember. I'm going to end this one here and ask that you remember what I said about how I choose podcasts. I think and believe that I only talk about the things that have the 
potential to heal us and make us whole. And I'm going to end this podcast with a quote by Rumi. And he said, there is a voice that doesn't use words. Listen and have a great week.